I'm your host, Kenny Ingram. I'm sitting next to Sam Happensteiner. This is Flat Suit Friday. How are you? Yeah, Kenny. Excited to be here as always and excited for everything that's going on in the fleet today. Uh, we're going to jump into and get a really good snapshot of Air Station New Orleans today. So let's, uh, let's dive into it. All right. First, we'll start off with a little bit of news. So there's a lot of chatter about what's happening in the 65 world. So the ARC, which I believe stands for the Aviation Resource Council, is kind of briefing senior leadership right now on uh, the course of action uh, for the 65. Can I just say that that's a sweet acronym, the ARC? The ARC. I think of like the ARC of the, I don't know. I'm thinking of like Indiana Jones right now, dude. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds very important. Okay, sorry, continue. Yeah, so what what they're looking at doing is taking uh, six 65s off the line, basically to make parts for the rest of the aircraft. And what that's going to do is uh, get us up to uh, basically 100% program flight hours of what aircraft are remaining. I don't remember the, the exact numbers of how many we have, but that's what they're briefing right now. So one of those aircraft would come from ATC. Um, the other five would come from uh, New Orleans when they flip over to 60s, and we'll be talking a little bit about that uh, during this episode. So that's what's going on. Yeah, Sam. I feel like if we talk about it here too, it'll make it so, right? So ALC will hear this, and then they'll be like, oh, yeah, we can go back to 100% program flight hours and 7-Eleven. They should be listening too. Oh, anyway, sorry. Um, to give a little bit of news for the 60 fleet, this is kind of an ongoing transition. I just got schooled up on this. Didn't even know you guys had this, but the uh, 60s have something called an ERD, the emergency recovery device. So uh, in the event that your hoist cable fails and you can't do a quick splice, they have basically a climbing rope that they can connect through a carabiner and then down to a capstan where think of a, a sailboat as you're winching in a, a sail or something, you know, they actually put a crank handle in there and, and lift the swimmer up manually. Um, they're switching it to something called the Atlas. Uh, and so that is a lithium battery powered, uh, somewhat, something similar uh, in design. Um, so you don't have to winch it anymore. So I think four units have uh, completed their uh, training and then uh, more of the uh, EFEB, they're coming down to Mobile to get that training. So pretty cool. All right, moving on to shout outs for the fleet. A couple cool SAR cases going on out there. The first one is Detroit. So a boat uh, goes up against the rocks, up against the cliff, and uh, four people that are in that vessel are clinging to the rocks. Um, and so the crew goes out from Detroit. The PIC was Monticelli, co pilot was Hubner, and the swimmer was <laughs> Petty Officer Steve King. And so they go out, I guess one of the, the persons on board was diabetic. So they pick that individual up first. They go drop them off at EMS in a field. They come back and recover the remaining people into the aircraft. Uh, it turns out that it was actually in um, Canadian airspace. So I asked them about the, the crew about that and they said, yeah, they have pretty good MOU. So it was pretty much a nothing burger getting clearance in there. But I uh, wonder if they had to ask for permission to get four nationals on board the aircraft. Yeah, that's a, no idea. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I'm sure they got that figured out up there. So. Yeah, you get top cover anyways. Nice job, Detroit. Yeah, good job, guys. Um, I actually got two. I, I forgot to tell you guys about this one. One was uh, uh, Air Station Astoria. Uh, the only person I know on the case was Jane Pena. Um, they had a uh, indirect litter recovery of uh, a woman in and out of consciousness and some gnarly uh, uh, classic uh, pack Northwest sea state out there. Um, they ended up going out for a, a boat where this woman was injured. Um, they took two swimmers. They could have taken one swimmer and, and a flight dock. They elected to take two swimmers, got both of them down to the boat. Um, after multiple attempts to recover, uh, they were unable to get the woman off the boat. So um, one swimmer jumped into the water. The other one lowered this woman in a litter down into the water and then jumped into the water as well. And they were able to recover her. So uh, kudos to you guys out in Astoria. And then uh, along with the West Coast theme, uh, Eric Schwartz, uh, Cassie Holly, John Klingensmith, and Paul Taylor out of San Francisco had a, a triple vert surface night rescue uh, within the last couple of weeks. So Great job on that one. They uh, went out just north of the air station to Mir Beach. Uh, a couple of teenagers, I think there were five of them, uh, got caught walking on the beach and the tide came in. So they decided to try and make this climb up the scree there. Uh, two of them made it to the top, called their buddies and say, yeah, don't do it. It's, it's kind of sketchy. So um, they were they were right next to the cliff. They were hanging on. Um, the crew went out there. Story is uh, they're about 150 foot hoist within one rotor diameter of the uh, of the cliff. Um, getting watched by the uh, Marin uh, Fire Department out there too. So um, great job. All three recovered back to the air station. Nice job, San Francisco. 
And a uh, quick producer note, we had a uh, Port Angeles reach out and tell us that, uh, well, since we're trying to get more 60 stories on the show and everything, they had a case that they were lo- looking for a missing hiker, gone for about 10 days, 60 crew, exhausted all efforts, maximum effort, found the person. The 65 crew. 65 crew. Yeah. But then Astoria came in and uh, saved the day, apparently. So they're just trying to wave the flag for when we're all 60 pilots. But uh, shout out to them as well. Sweet. Those 60 guys think they're so cool. They do. Hey, you're welcome for us finding them. All right, folks. We got a great episode coming up here. We're uh, spotlighting Air Station New Orleans. And uh, as many listeners uh, out there know, New Orleans is a hotbed for SAR. So we're going to get into some cool SAR cases today. Our guest, Timmy Ola, he's a senior second tour pilot. We got Andrew Sheffy's first tour and then Isaac Babcock. I think he's a second tour pilot. He just got there as well. Uh, We're going to get them on the line and and pick their brains about what's good about the air station, what's good about flying there, and some of the SAR cases they have. And uh, we may even get a drive-by by their ops boss. We'll see. All right, we'll go ahead and get it started here. We got a couple of sweet rock stars from NOLA. Let's go ahead and uh, start with you, Tim. Just go ahead and introduce yourself, who you are a little bit, uh, where you've been, what you're doing. Yeah, cool. Hey, everybody. Uh, my name's Tim Ola, uh, Lieutenant Commander guy over here in uh, NOLA. Hey, guy. Um, guy. Uh, I was Academy 2010, went to uh, Cutter Dallas out of Charleston. Um, was on there for about a year and a half. Decommissioned the Dallas, went to flight school for two years, then went out to Air Station LA. One of the last uh, bastion of people to go out there. Um, again, decommissioned that place. And uh, after two years, went uh, up to Point Magoo as uh, one of the five permanent party guys uh, up there. And was there for two years and then came to NOLA. Been here for three years or so. Nice. Timmy. Timmy, Timmy. Timmy. Dude, welcome, man. It's good to, good to hear your voice, buddy. Uh, loved being stationed with you down there in Magoo. Yeah, man. Thanks. All right. Who we got next? Uh, Andrew, you on with us? Yes, I am. Yeah, Andrew Sheffy, Lieutenant Type. I'm a 16 grad from the academy and then straight to flight school. I got my wings in June of 18 and then I was here to NOLA. Um, I've been here for three years now. Looking nice. to go to Atlantic City next year. Nice. You're, you're yep. aircraft commander, Andrew? I am, yes. I made AC back in February. Sweet. And then um, quickly thrown into the, the duty pool of the SOLA, the, the NOLA SAR. The NOLA as you SAR, will. the grinder. Yeah. Awesome. The grinder. Uh, yeah. And who else we got out there? Isaac, you there? Yeah, man. Uh, this is Isaac Babcock, uh, also a lieutenant uh, in the AEO here at NOLA. Uh, a 14 grad coming out of the academy. I went to uh, the Real Monroe, the 378 version, uh, up there in Kodiak, Alaska. And uh, did that for about two years. Uh, then flight school for two. Uh, I was in, very lucky to get stationed in Barbie's Point. Uh, it's all down helping now. And, uh, and, uh, three years out there. And then, uh, just reported into NOLA pretty recently here about two months ago in July. Uh, so fresh here in NOLA. Awesome. Well, w- welcome to the show. We're glad that all of you guys are here with us. Um, we normally like to kick off with, Hey, what kind of frosty beverage are you drinking? I don't know. You guys are probably on some sort of B zero B one backup crew, but, uh, <laughs> uh, we're drinking some Andy Gator here in, um, you know, True doing Louisiana the, fashion. That's right. right. Yeah, yeah. We're doing a NOLA highlight here. So some Louisiana beer here. It is, it's a, uh, it's a little bit rougher than I thought it was going to be, but you know, it, it meets the threshold of at least 6%. I think we're working with 8% here. Yeah. So are you guys drinking anything? Uh, it's Babcock. I got a, I got a Yingling with me. The, uh, working on a new wardroom officer. So the pickings <laughs> were a little small up there. Uh, we got Yingling and truly, but uh, Yingling will do the trick. That's the oldest beer in America, right? Is it not? Love it. I love it. Sure is. Oldest brewery, and it's a tall boy too. So I think he's ready to go. Yeah. Good. And you also and said that- Truly is also in the wardroom there. Uh, yeah, yeah. Truly. Can we cut that out, Ryan? Can we cut that out? Thanks. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have to. <laughs> we don't want to make <laughs> that'll be cut. <laughs> good. Good. <laughs> I, th- I think the best story was uh, our old CO uh, Commander Dill. He'll probably hate me for this, but uh, he was he went in there and like, oh, look look at these new. Uh, Seltzer water. Seltzer water. <laughs> and about to crack one open before flight. And I was like, sir, that has alcohol in it. And he's like, oh, oh, I, I had no idea. So, Tim, you're such uh, a wimp. You should have just let him, let him drink him it, do dude. It, dude. <laughs> You've always been a big wimp. I know. Uh, oh, man. Um, uh, I think we, we kind of just want to dive right into the crazy 
SAR aspect that is Air Station New Orleans. Because anybody who goes down there or knows buddies who go down there, it's just like, hey, man, yeah, I had this crazy case last night. I've got six cases this month. It just, you guys have a constant hose, garden hose, no, fire hose going. Not even garden hose. What am I talking about? Yeah, you guys <laughs> are just like, you know, drinking from the fire hose down there. So, um, Timmy, I want to start with you, man, because I heard about a shark bite case. Uh, that was very intriguing. So, uh, can we dive into that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think before we before we start, um, Good all idea. three of the cases that that we're gonna that we're gonna talk about all happened within two weeks of each other post uh, Hurricane Ida. So, think about Hurricane came through. Um, you know, the air station was uh, had a lot of issues, uh, both from a personal standpoint with people being displaced and uh, facility standpoint with um, our entire maintenance control being flooded out. Um, so just a lot of stuff going on, a lot of fatigue. Um, you know, we moved the air station probably about four days after the storm, uh, moved our operations over to Mobile, Alabama, and we were flying back and forth the B zero over here, uh, sleeping in on cots in our, uh, in our offices because there's no AC. So I think that just puts in the context kind of, you know, that, and then right after Hurricane Ida, Andrew had his case. I had my case and then Isaac had his case. So, so you guys um, were I would say that well rested. You guys were well rested, right? So great, great uh, environment to sleep in. Um, your houses were in great condition. You know, your families were probably there at home supporting you. Is that what you're saying? Completely, yeah, everything completely opposite. Water. Plenty of food, water. <laughs> yeah, yep, exactly. So, um, but I think co- just- what was more comfortable? The cots that you guys are sleeping on or like those tiny single beds that used to be up in the barracks when you used to come for P course? Uh, <laughs> dude, are you guys too young for those beds that they used to have up there? I never, I never had them, dude. I had the nice double bed. Yeah, I think I'm, Queens. I think I made you myself. Sorry. Well, we'll continue. Go yeah, ahead. I think, yeah, I think you're a little old there. Kenny, there but, two um, queens in my bedroom. I just want to say that I had two queens, bro. That's something both. We we di- we totally digressed. Um, sorry, sorry, Timmy. No, all good. Yeah, yeah. So, um, my case was again kind of the first. Um, iteration of Airfac NOLA. Uh, we flew the B zero from Mobile to NOLA. Had a like a deployment. Uh, Try to scavenge anything that was in the refrigerator to to cook up for uh, for our duty crew that night. Um, went to bed. Woke up at like one thirty and got a call from Sector New Orleans and District uh, on a conference call saying that uh, they had a guy with an amputated leg, uh, sixty six miles south of the air station. So about not super far offshore, uh, like 16 miles south of Southwest Pass uh-huh. on Mount Mississippi. So, um, you know, I was like, oh, wow, that obviously sounds not great that the guy doesn't have a leg anymore. Um, but I asked, like, hey, you know, what did the flight surgeon say? <laughs> and they uh, apparently all the flight surgeons uh, were sleeping at the time and they couldn't get a hold of a flight surgeon. <laughs> so um, that was like kind of the, our, our CEO talked about this spidey sense that kind of jumps up uh, when, when you get a call, but that was the first indication of like, Oh, we need to kind of maybe slow down just a little bit. Cause I think like amputated legs, probably a big deal. And I think we all do, but yeah. the flight surgeon's like, Hey, it's six hours. I'd rather do this at five. You know what I mean? So, um, got off the call with them immediately called, uh, our ops, Dusty Williams and, uh, talked about ORM. I mean, it's one thirty in the morning. We're all relatively tired, uh, just from the hurricane stuff. Um, and started discussing ORM. Um, really didn't have any idea about what we did. We did have a good picture of the boat. Um, so we kind of had an idea of what we wanted to do, but our initial plan was basically just fly out there. Uh, the crew is myself, uh, Jake Pickin, uh, Mike Broadstreet with our flight mech and then Sam Ray, relatively new rescue swimmer. I think only had one medevac maybe and like got deployed down to a, a Sandy beach and picked up somebody, but nothing like outrageous. So, yeah. um, you and Mike have been stationed together every single spot, haven't you? Yeah, Mike's Mike's an awesome guy. Really, really smart. Uh, he was in LA with me, and then was up in San Francisco. And then uh, I came here one day, and Mike saw Mike Rostry in the uh, in the hangar. I was like, I know that guy. <laughs> uh, so that was kind of cool. Pretty experienced, uh, experienced crew. Jake's a really senior first pilot. Um, and then uh, you know Mike's been around. So, um, but our initial plan was just to go out there and uh, put Sam in the water because it was a shrimping boat. Uh, really hard to hoist to, not a lot of space. So we're like, hey, Sam, we'll put you in the water. You get on board, figure out a good hoisting place, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll go from there. So, How much uh, fuel did you guys take off with, Timmy? So I think we took off with like 
fifteen hundred pounds. Okay, fourteen thirty. Um, so we, I mean, sixty six miles isn't too far. Uh, so the the fuel wasn't a super issue. The the only big issue is that we really didn't have any outs because of the hurricane came. Um, all of our fuel to the south was basically non-existent. So, um, and the fuel offshore is pretty much non-existent too for oil rigs. So mm-hmm. really our only option is to come back to the air station. And with Hurricane Ida, obviously all the power is out. So this was what, five days, six days after the hurricane. So even if you're, you know, 16 miles offshore, you could usually see some, some sort of lights or, you know, the uh, horizon, but it was, uh, zero illumination, you know, no cultural lighting. Um, and it was dark. I mean, I put the NVGs down and it looked exactly the same as if I didn't have the NVGs on. So, oh um, and I, and we, yeah, we, we kind of discussed it as we were going out there. I was like, Hey, if anybody starts to feel wheezy or, you know, kind of in like a snow globe, I guess, you know what I mean? You can't really discern what's, what's down or what's up because the lights on the oil rigs look like stars and the stars look like oil rigs. So, um, we just kind of discussed that if anybody was feeling weird, just to start look forward and like, look at the, uh, look at the aircraft panel and stuff like that, just to kind of reorientate, reorientate themselves. So, mm. um, yeah, we headed out there. Um, and then about 20 minutes into the flight, um, we got a call from sector saying that there's a good fam and an offshore supply vessel that was out there. Um, so we talked to them, uh, and the, guy, the person was awesome. Um, he was like, Hey, I'm, you know, half mile from the vessel. I have it all lit up with uh, all my lights and stuff like that. Um, and we're like, Hey, do you have any details on the case? And he was like, yeah, so apparently, you know, they're fishing, they're bringing up their nets, their nets uh, got caught in the propeller, so they're DIW, um, they have a bunch of fish and whatever catch uh, in the nets that are pretty close to shore, uh, and the guy was trying to undo the nets from the propeller, fell overboard, and his leg got bit off by a shark. Um, so that was oh. the first indication that uh, there's any uh, shark-infested waters in the area. Yeah. Um, so after we heard that, I, I turned around to Sam and I said, Sam, I don't think we're going to put you in the water, man. <laughs> and uh, Sam, Sam uh, agreed. Um, so our only option really was to just find the vessel and, you know, do a, do a hoist to it. So um, got on thing pretty quickly. Um, won't kind of go into details on the hoist. It was just probably some of the hardest hoisting I've done just because it's a shrimping boat. We had about a three by three foot area on the bow to, to hoist to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then. Yeah, DIW, um, and you can only kind of see the yard arms and stuff. So, um, but put Sam down, uh, orbited just to save some gas, and Sam got down there, and um, the the guys on the boat were like, "Hey, we saw you guys. Uh, we here, so we took the tourniquet off uh, off of his leg." Um, which, if any medical professional knows, you, once you put a tourniquet on, you, you don't take it off. Dude, that's um, like tourniquet one hundred and one, right? That, that's the only rule. Once it goes on, it doesn't right, come right, off, right. right? Yeah, I don't know much about tourniquets, but that's the one thing I know. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, so Sam, uh, you know, brand new rescue swimmer, first actual, like real, uh, star case gets down there and, um, does a fantastic job. I mean, gets down there, the guy's in obviously, uh, a lot of pain, um, and sees that the tourniquet taken off, um, takes out his like go bag, um, takes the tourniquet out and puts the tourniquet on, uh, back on the guy, which is, probably even more painful than the first time because once you take the tourniquet off, blood starts to flow, uh, you know, uh, to, to their leg again. Um, so Sam, you know, put the tourniquet back on, uh, the guy, um, obviously in significant pain, um, but triages him extremely well. So, um, packages him and, you know, Sam was asking, Hey, can we hoist to the stern? Because it's going to be hard to get the person up to the bow. Mm-hmm. And there's just no way we could no way we could do that. There's too much stuff. So, um, and at this point we're at like a maybe two minutes to a 400 pound bingo. And Sam's like, all right, it's going to take a, take us a couple minutes to get this person up to the bow. So, um, immediately we're thinking, well, we don't, you know, don't have a lot of gas. Um, you know, we have, we had some outs. I think that was, that was the biggest thing. Um, you know, we could always just bring them back to the air station and get gas. But, uh, this person, um, if we didn't take him to the hospital right away, I don't know if he would have survived or not. So, yeah. um, and based off of what Sam was talking about, it was, um, pretty much we had to do it. So, um, Sam comes back around. We talked a little bit about, Hey, you know, I think we only have one shot at this hoist and how are we going to get both the patient and Sam up at the same time? And, um, we kind of came to the conclusion that we had to do, um, uh, what we, I guess quantified as the bad poo. 
Um, you can hashtag that. Bad uh, hashtag bad, bad poo. poo. Hashtag bad poo. Um, which basically just entailed us bringing down the basket and having Sam and uh, the patient come up at the same time. Can you uh, um, can you just say what that acronym means to you for our listeners out there? Uh, basket augmented double pickup. Yeah, I gotta I gotta make sure that my mom understands what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not not what you think it is. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we, we, we had a discussion, we had a discussion in the aircraft about, um, you know, Hey, is this, is this kind of the right call? You know, yeah. as the basket's going down, I remember, um, asking Jake, my co-pilot, I was like, Hey man, is this the right call? And he was like, we are at 300 pound bingo. Um, I don't think we have any other options. Um, yeah. realistically, not verbatim, but that's pretty much what he, what he said. And, uh, you know, kind of going under the warranted risk piece is like, you know, this is kind of what we train for all the time of, you know, deviating from policy, but based off of what we had and what we could do, that's really the only option we had. Um, yeah, I don't think you guys probably wanted to take him back without the swimmer. Like couldn't leave the swimmer on scene, right? No, exactly. And that was the biggest thing. I mean, I, we have no medical professional ability in the back without the rescue swimmer. So, yeah. uh, and this guy had gone from maybe mid shed down and then his other leg actually had shark bites on it as well. So, um, significant pain and, um, you know, wasn't able to, uh, basically do, do much of anything. So, um, that was really our only option. We had another option to do two hoists, but basically bring them back to the air station where an ambulance would take them to the hospital, but mm-hmm. that was a 30 minute transit to a level one trauma center. Um, and his injuries are so significant that we, we just knew we had to get him to hospital as soon as possible. So, um, Again, did, did the hoist, our flight mic was awesome, you know, basically a three by three foot area where we could put the, put the basket into, um, brought both, uh, Sam and, uh, the patient up, uh, with the hashtag bad food and, <laughs> uh, yeah, brought, brought him into the cabin. And I think I remember saying, you know, as I'm, as we're kind of hovering there hoisting, I was like, Hey man, just make sure you hold on to the rescue server. We haven't done this before. I just, I didn't want Sam to fall out for some, you know, yeah. disconnect and, you know, so. Um, you know, the flight mech brought both, uh, Sam and the, and the, um, uh, patient inside yeah. and yeah, we headed back, we headed to the hospital. So, um, got to the hospital, dropped him off and he immediately went into emergency surgery, uh, and, uh, survived. So that was awesome. Wow. Did you guys, um, when you landed at the pad, how much gas did you have then? We had about 320 pounds of gas. So, uh, we, uh, brought both engines back to idle, turned the uh, cool switch off and just kind of sat there and said, Hey Sam, you know, we got about five minutes of gas here. Um, whether you're here or not, we're taking off at 250 pounds. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, Sam went inside and, uh, you know, we called the hospital just before we got there and said, Hey, um, we are, uh, you know, five minutes out, we have a shark bite victim and give them all the vitals and stuff like that. And Sam gets down into the ER and there's, uh, like six nurses, five doctors and like 30 residents just hanging out there. Like I wanted to see the guy with a shark. Yeah, it was crazy. I feel like that's the opposite of all of my medevac experiences where the swimmer and the met go walk around the hospital for 15 minutes trying to find somebody other than the security guard. Yeah, it was, they had like, they had like five people upstairs, like, uh, with a, uh, with a gurney ready to go. They all ran inside, like ran up to the helicopter. Um, so and then Sam was down there for a little while. We, he called back on the radio. We're like, Hey man, we have one, you have one minute to get back up here or we're, we're leaving without <laughs> you. Uh, and brought the engines back to flight and did take off checks and we were ready to go basically pulling power. And it, I mean, it was like a movie. Uh, we're like about to, about to take off pulling power and Sam runs out of the road of the, runs out of the door. <laughs> we claim the family collective down. Uh, um, and, uh, Sam jumps in, we get all ready to go and, and take off and we landed with like 108 pounds of gas or something like that. So, yeah, I'm picturing him like Superman diving through the air to get into the cabin doors. You guys are lifting yeah. off. I, I can either confirm nor deny that happened, <laughs> but it, it was, it was pretty close. We closed the door pretty quickly. I am going to have to cut off this conversation for a second, Tim. It is three thirty-four, and I've not heard you crack a beer. You're already oh, off yeah, duty. Yeah. So if you could make that happen <laughs> for us, I'd appreciate it. Good idea. And uh, producers out. <laughs> I've got one right here. There oh, there oh man. Off duty, huh, buddy? That's what we're talking about. Nice. It's always a countdown. Yeah. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. So I'm sure you've had time to debrief with your crew. You think the, the bad poo was a, was a good call? Would you do it again? 
I think in that situation, it was it was the right call. Um, Talking with the, our, our skipper, Commander Blair, and uh, our ops, Dusty uh, Williams, I mean, they were, um, you know, if they said, if this if that wasn't the definition of, you know, warranted risk and risk management, they, they don't know what is. You know, I think we talk about warranted risk a lot of times of, um, you know, in on the, on the bad side of it, I guess, you know, for mishaps and stuff like that, like, oh, I don't know, you know. Uh, but I think this is a good example of just a crew working well together, thinking outside the box on um, doing something and understanding that the gain was there, uh, even though the, the risk was pretty high. So I, I think I would, you know, looking back on it, I would 100% do it again. Cool. That's awesome. Uh, so last episode, we were talking with Krugs and we were talking about my favorite part of being an IP is watching um, young kids grow up and become second tour aircraft commanders. I don't know if you remember this, but I think I did one of your AC SAR checks or stand check or something. And I was like, Hey, if you ever need to land at a hospital and save fuel, like, yeah, you can bring your engine title, but like, what's the one thing you need to do? And it's like, Hey, you got to bring that cool switch off. So like hearing you say that I like time warped back to what, 2018 or so, something like that. And that, that flight. So yeah, it's, it's really cool hearing you talk about, Hey, I, I had to deviate from 3710 due to warranted risk to save this person's life and hearing you all grown up makes me proud. So proud. <laughs> so it's, it's all you're doing, Kenny. Yeah, I don't know. That's debatable, but all right, let me, <laughs> let me uh, wipe the tears off Kenny's eyes real quick. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's pass the torch to Andrew. Andrew, let's jump into your star case, man. What happened to you? So my duty period, um, was on the Monday it's August 30th. So it was like, so Hurricane Ida rolled through on Sunday night. Yep. Um, and I were part of the, the entourage that hung out in the wardroom that night when uh, Ida was, you know, ruffling our feathers of New Orleans. And uh, so we all hung out here at the air station that night to ride out the storm in preparations for Monday morning, um, whatever kind of SAR took place or whatever kind of assistant was needed post-storm. Um, so I slept here overnight because I didn't want to stay at my house along with um, my co-pilot who also was Jake Pitkin. Um, he and I slept here that night along with our flight mechanic, Don Schur. Mm-hmm. Um, so the three, of the three out of the four of us were sleeping here at the air station that night. Um, when we, when we lost power and didn't have air conditioning in certain parts of the, certain parts of the building. Mm-hmm. Um, so then Monday morning rolled around and I think by like 6am there were, there were like 12 aircraft on our flight line. Uh, it was something insane. Um, so, you know, we went to bed late, got up really early and, uh, we were already working. The three of us that stayed here that night, we were all working, maintenance, refueling, aircraft coming in, aircraft coming out. We didn't have comms working at the air station because our generator broke. Mm-hmm. So um, Jake and I were running around to other aircraft that were landing on our flight line, literally passing out handwritten notes like, hey, contact Air State NOLA on 83 Alpha because that's, that's the only handheld radio we had working that time. Yeah. Um, so to, to paint the picture that our that our duty period started at 3.30 on Monday afternoon would, would be a little bit of, a, of an exaggeration. Like our our day at work started a little bit earlier than we would have liked, but, um, ops Dusty Williams was very, very forward leaning in that and recognized that very early on and, uh, told Jake and I to, to take ourselves out of the game around 11 o'clock that day and go take a nap for a couple hours, knowing that we were going on duty that afternoon. Yeah. So three thirty rolled around. Um, and we were literally in the duty relief and ops rolled in and was like, Hey, I got a medevac for you guys down in uh, Port Fushan, which was part of the area that got hit, you know, literally like the eye of the storm rolled straight over Port Fushan. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got a, we got a call for, for this gentleman who had ridden out the storm on his, they call them lift boats. Um, and these boats, they have massive hydraulic, uh, piling pilings that basically extend out of the bottom of the boat that allow them to, um, remove the hull of the boat out of the water, but still remain, you know, over top of the water. Um, so these, there were like seven or eight lift boats that had get gotten themselves some shelter up in an inlet in part of Port Fushan. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the gentlemen on the boat had been there on the, there overnight when the storm rolled through and got hit by a window that blew out. Um, he was severely concussed. Um, he didn't have any lacerations or anything like that, but, um, there was no way to get him in an ambulance because all the roads were flooded or power lines were making roads impassable. So, um, we took off, you know, shortly before four o'clock and, uh, got down to Port Fushan. There were, there was nowhere for us to uh, conduct a hoist because, the boats are way too large, um, with the pilings extending up like a hundred feet in the air. So we elected to just land in an intersection about a half mile down the road. And, um, our swimmer, Rob Granger, um, made the trek up to the boat, grabbed him and, and walked him back to the aircraft. Um, so nothing quite as sexy or as extreme as Timmy's case or what you're going to hear about from Isaac, but 
um, it was just a good, good crew discussion on, you know, the, uh, the best place to land and getting this person in the aircraft safely and then back to a hospital back in downtown, the metropolitan area, New Orleans. Yeah. Um, so post, that was, post hurricane stars. Yeah. I mean, that's a big deal, man. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. How many, uh, cases have you had as an AC there where you've, uh, you know, had a live hoist or picked up people? Whether you um, the, this was, this was the, so with the hurricane, I've had four cases, um, where we've either done live hoist or some sort of hoist or save lives. Um, now it's been about, cause I, I ended up standing duty, uh, beginning in June. Uh, so within about three months, I've had five, six lives assisted or saved. Three months, six lives assisted or saved. Yeah. I, th- I think I yeah. had three or four my entire time in San Francisco. Yeah. After being AC. And, and I'm, and that's just, you know, I'm just a small, a small, uh, statistic. There are, you could talk to any co-pilot here, any first pilot or aircraft commander, and they all have, um, they, they probably, I don't know, probably can't tell you how many people. Yeah. I don't think can map. You could you even say. Yeah, I, I was actually going through my logbook today just to see. And I've been here for three years and um, I think it's 38 lives saved and like 10 lives assisted. So in three years, I mean, same thing, Sam, like in L.A. and San Francisco and stuff. I didn't have a single live voice and, and I kind of lost count. I had to go back in my logbook and check. So yeah. it, it's busy here, man. I think, yeah, it's a testament to like there doesn't there's not a week that goes by here in new orleans where we don't utilize both the b0 and the b1 because the b0 bags out on some overnight case or they they fly seven hours because it takes us two hours to get over to Destin, um and then you refuel and then you do your search pattern and then like it takes another two hours to get back here so you very quickly find yourself on you know a lost diver or a piw that's over in panama city or Destin. you're you're gonna bag out your your first crew so um that yeah especially this summertime between may through september like we're we're hearing the alarm go off just about every day sometimes even multiple times a day so did you say you guys hoisted the swimmer down or did you guys land somewhere we yeah we elected to just land in an intersection for uh for this case um it was it was honestly just the easiest safest option for us i don't want i don't want to bore you guys with uh with my cases because uh isaac isaac can probably talk to you guys for about 45 minutes on his, his case alone I won't. <laughs> <laughs> all right last not least isaac yeah yeah good evening guys thanks for having us on uh, uh definitely interesting uh ptsn in here like right you know i got in kind of late july it's like all right welcome to hurricane season in new orleans uh ready set go um uh we've only been here a couple weeks when i rolled through uh and coming from Barbary, so I highly recommend that for everyone, but that's not a surprise. Uh, it was wonderful out there, but I think Andrew had more star cases in that 24 hours than I pretty much did in a uh, three-year tour out there. So, uh, uh, But everyone telling me coming here, you, know, you always hear it, you're like excited. Uh, you're like, oh, man, there's so many good cases down there. I had uh, Eric Anderson as a mentor out there in Barbary. Mm-hmm. He was my AEO. Uh, he was like, oh, you're going to be bouncing off rigs in the middle of the night, cruise ship in the back, four or five cases a day. And so I'm like, oh, man, like, let's go. Uh, so I got here, and I would say that I was uh, – the rig's concerned to me. Uh, I was have never seen one, never landed on one. It was definitely something that I kind of identified as a, uh, a weakness. And then uh, I got a day, my first flight here was a day rig fan. We flew out to this super easy rig that we used to practice all the time, landed on a rig. I'm like, all right, that's not so bad. And, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, speaking to Jeb Slick, who's out here as well, uh, I'm like, hey, man, I'm asking all these questions about rigs on one of my due days. And he's kind of like, oh, man, I've been here like a year and a half. I've never been a rig. You're good, dude. You're not going to do it. You're good to go, man. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, all right, cool. So uh, here I am. Uh, this is uh, last week. I guess it was last Monday. Uh, and uh, I'm on duty with uh, Dan Siders. This is the last duty day. We just brought our uh, one of our planes back from uh, Mobile. A few were still broken there. But we had it was like the first day we had reconstituted back here at New Orleans. So mm-hmm. it was like, we're back. Everyone's kind of pretty exhausted. Uh, we're we're kind of hoping for a quiet night. Uh, we got one. But uh, the next day, we're kind of off going. And... Uh, we get this call for a medevac for a stroke victim off of a uh, cruise ship, the Liberty of the, uh, Liberty of the Seas. Mm-hmm. It's uh, 180 nautical miles from the air station and about 140 offshore. Um, they were due for Houston, but uh, Tropical Storm Nicholas was out there at the time, kind of bearing down the outer bands were kind of hitting us and hitting uh, Houston. Uh, so uh, they ultimately got diverted. That uh, The port of Houston shut down and they said, all right, we're going to go back into New Orleans. Shortly after that, uh, is when this guy started exhibiting stroke uh, symptoms at about noon. Um, mm-hmm. We get the call at about one thirty. Uh, we actually just launched on a trainer. We came uh, ripping back in. We'd only flown maybe twenty minutes, uh, 
and uh, come back in to get the details of the case. Uh, this one was a challenging one for me. Um, you know, you know, it's uh, sure second tour aviators show up, but not very familiar with the area. Never been to a rig, never done a hoist on a cruise ship, uh, and, and don't know the area that well. And uh, as Tim mentioned, uh, this was right after Ida, two weeks uh, after Ida. The fuel was can it was very limited. Um, so obviously, our little our little legs on our sixty five. Um, they requested us to pick up the uh, nurse as well. So I'm thinking I got to get two guys off of a cruise ship, 140 nautical miles offshore, back to a hospital all the way in New Orleans, which is about 180 nautical miles away. Wow. So we wow. start. We start fuel planning. We're looking around. Uh, you know, uh, uh, one thing that's nice about NOLA is, is usually everyone's here working and the, the alarm goes off. Everyone, everyone's been this guy. So everyone jumped in and starts trying to help out. People are calling rigs. Uh, I think we had like five, six people calling rigs. Um, the first eight rigs we called were not manned and unavailable due to Ida. Um, so we're, at, we're calling around, trying to find a rig with fuel. Um, and we were, we were exhausting all of our options. We got Galliano, which would have been a better offshore or onshore uh fuel location was pretty much got wiped out from, uh, from Ida. I, I overflew that airport, uh, during that when Ida was hitting on that Sunday, uh, and it was uh, unavailable as well. So where's, uh, uh, where's Galliano just for our listeners in relation yeah, to Yeah, Galliano is about 40 nautical miles, uh, Southwest. So again, the, the cruise ship was about Southwest, uh, 180 Southwest of us. Okay. So it's, uh, further down the, closer to the mouth of the Mississippi, kind of in Southern Louisiana. So even if you um, refueled there, you, you'd need to find another refuel spot somewhere out in the ocean. Still would have needed a rig. Yeah. Okay. And, and the reason we were trying to refuel there was the bands, uh, the tropical storm Nicholas was well, only a tropical storm became a hurricane later that day. Um, but, uh, you know, just these, these bands of thunderstorms that are just sweeping out, look like big arms from the, uh, the, the storm itself were kind of all over the area that we were getting to transit. So, uh, typically, you know, again, I'm, I'm learning rigs, uh, on the job here, you know, uh, typically what we want to do is if we're flying out there and you're committed to not being able to make it back to shore, you, you obviously want to have a couple options. Uh, so that was one of our hesitations with so limited fuel. Even once we found the first one, it was, uh, it was a conversation with my ops basically being like, Hey, I don't want to send you out into this, uh, bad weather out there, uh, with no bingo back to land. If you, uh, ultimately get out there, maybe the fuel is bad. You get there, the rig doesn't work. You know, some of these rigs don't get that much traffic. Um, so, uh, my mission planning, uh, uh, is at about a 10 at this point. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but we don't get a lot of, uh, a lot of tropical storms and thunderstorms and stuff out in Hawaii. Uh, I'm pretty used to just bombing anywhere I want to go over water at 500 feet. Um, I mean, and you, it's, you it's guys can surf on duty out there, right? It doesn't even matter. Yeah. Matter. Yeah. So okay. Right across the street. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. uh, uh, usually that's the, the team workout in the morning. Good. Uh, but, good, good, good. Uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, this definitely is stretching my like comfort levels. As it's still pretty new AC. Um, you know, I, I winged about six months after Sheffy Diggs. I went to a boat first, uh, and so I, you know, I'm second tour, but uh, pretty junior second tour guy. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm uh, ORM is going on in the head, and I'm like, how am I going to mitigate all this stuff, and how am I going to get out here? And uh, obviously, we're getting kind of interesting information from the sector, as all these cases usually go. Uh, they told us, uh, oh, yeah, they're coming direct to NOLA. They gave me a location. They said they're going direct to New Orleans, uh, the, the cruise ship is. And then they gave me, they're going a heading of 110. And I'm like, so they're going southeast? Like, how's that going towards New Orleans? And they're like, oh, actually, we don't know where the direction they're going. And they were just maneuvering. So it's like, well, I'm trying to plan this rendezvous with this boat, like, way out in the middle of the ocean. And in the first 20 minutes, I've got, you know, bad intel. So yeah. it was definitely a new one for me. Um, like I said, uh, barbers is usually you punch the alarm, you run off the plane, you uh, uh, you check weather, wink, wink. Um, but you look outside and it's blue, and uh, you just kind of go fly wherever you want to fly. So um, we ended up mission planning for this one for about an hour. And we kind of got to a point before we found that first rig where because of the limited fuel, we were like, I don't think we can execute this case. Uh, there's just nowhere to get fuel. Uh, uh, we were dreading the idea of pan it off and maybe a 60 out of mobile. We didn't want to do that. So we're, we're still, we're still, still planning. Uh, we found that one rig. Uh, so we kind of come up with a plan. The plan is to fly out, refuel at Homa, which isn't far from here. It's only about 40 miles from here. So it doesn't gain as much. Mm-hmm. But gave us a little more fuel to push offshore into that weather. Um, fly out of the rig, refuel at the rig, go to the cruise ship, hoist the nurse and the patient. Then we want to come back to the rig, refuel at the rig. That point it's sunset. And then fly back to Homa, get fuel, fly to the hospital, drop them off and get home. So we're looking at about four or five legs uh, to get the mission done, uh, with all the fuel requirements and bringing the two, uh, uh, the patient and the nurse. Um, 
Can I so just side, again, like, can I just sidebar you real yeah. quick? I I just want to know because we're gonna dive into this a little bit. Like you guys are eventually gonna be sixty pilots there. Thought process that on would that. have been like, one. <laughs> that, oh yeah, we, we discussed it. Uh, that would have been one bag. It would have taken off. I would have brought a litter. Uh, I probably would have brought snacks, uh, some, uh, some water. I mean, we stripped down the whole aircraft. Uh, we didn't bring any of our swimmer gear. We stripped down everything we could take off, and and we had discussed the litter, but just with the fuel legs. I mean, we were. Uh, going to be super critical in some of those legs. Um, and so we did, we, they told us he was somewhat ambulatory. Um, he was not, of course, when we got there, um, which we right. kind of anticipated with the stroke. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, it would have been one leg probably. Probably would have just fueled up, flown out there, uh, <laughs> taking our time. Yeah, the fuel plan would have been like, uh, fuel. Yeah, we got enough. I think we're good. Yeah, right, okay. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. And we're going. Yeah, you want us to top it off? No, no, we got enough. I think, so. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it definitely was discussed, uh, as we're like refueling for the fourth time during this mission, uh, uh, that it would have been nice, but, uh, uh, so ultimately we get out there, um, uh, kind of a lesson learned and a takeaway from the fleet, uh, uh, for the fleet, uh, as a new guy, not really knowing what I'm getting into. Um, I, I was really doing the fuel calculations. I was like, man, I think we can just punch out of the rig and still have that bingo, uh, back to Homa. So we could have skipped that first refuel at Homa and gotten out there. Like, you know, that would have been like, Hey man, we would have been at 280 pounds. This, this could work. And, um, you know, ultimately we elected just to mitigate risk because there's, there's a bunch of bands of weather out there. Uh, and then, uh, we knew the winds were going to pick up because just looking at like windy and a few other, uh, offshore, uh, references, you know, there was about 45 knots of wind out there in the outer bands. Um, so, you know, you know, that CDU is making that calculation over land where there's no wind and like, how's this going to affect our fuel rate and then, you know, our track. And so mm-hmm. I was feeling kind of that pressure because I took an hour to plan this mission, really an hour and a half. So I was kind of already feeling like, man, it took a long time to get out the door. We should just go. Um, ultimately very glad I got that fuel at Homa as we pushed offshore. Sure enough, when these bands starts growing, we're just watching it grow on our stratus weather on our ESB and it's getting, redder and redder and uh, we're seeing the lightning strikes on it and we're like man uh, it's about 30 nautical miles wide uh so um we kind of push a little to the west uh kind of find the you know radar's looking better there it's just you know some greens and yellows on the the efb the weather radar on the aircraft was working pretty good it seemed pretty thin um we could you know heavy rain but like no lightning around so we're like hey we're gonna try to kind of push through this uh and uh, again my experience and uh, even in heavy rains that we sometimes get in hawaii a lot of times you can you know, bring the speed down, bring it down to a safe speed, you know, keep visual, uh, visual, visual on the water and you might have the best horizon that you can kind of punch through some of these smaller things. Uh, just due to the delay it would take to get all the way around it. We kind of said, Hey, we're going to give this a shot, but we, you know, we pre-briefed a uh, double IMC plan as we went into it. Uh, mm-hmm. 10 seconds going in. I mean, it just stocked us in. It was just like, uh, my co-pod's like, that's IMC. And my rest of summer is like, what are we doing? And I'm like, man, I'm not loving this decision. Uh, yeah. You know, but we had pre-briefed. We did a 180. We're at a safe altitude. There's no obstacles. You know, we did the classic 180. We popped back out. We're all right. Um, so it was that moment where my swimmer was like, bet you're glad we took that fuel in Homa. And I was like, sure am. You know I mean? Because we uh, had to go all the way around that leg of the storm. Um, uh, ironically, once I got on the rig and landed and it was just raining there, not too bad, um, had heavy winds, which helped with the fuel. We took more fuel to safely take, uh, take off in that rig. We pretty much maxed gas because we had like 30 knots of wind at the rig, um, which helped out later on. Uh, it's I, kind of ironic. Like we do so much training, like that part almost didn't feel easy to get the voice. And I mean, I hadn't done a cruise ship before. It's obviously different. It's huge. That helps, but yeah. uh, you know, it, it's big obstacles. Uh, it was almost like a sigh of relief once we were doing the, the, actual hoisting and everything like that was like uh you know obviously there's risk there but we was like oh, all right this is the easy part i know how to do this right and then uh we had a cast overhead at that point they helped us out with some weather planning on the way back um ultimately uh the things i would say like the takeaways i mean we pre-briefed down the order of the evolutions everything we were going to do uh we, you know the order how we we're going to bring up the patient what we we're going to do with them so there wasn't a lot of discussing once we got on scene we uh we called the vessel ahead of time got the vessel brief done they were ready to go with us. So uh, we did a total of five voicing evolutions, bringing up the, putting the swimmer down, bringing up the medical gear for the patient, bringing the patient up. And then uh, actually with rest four, we uh, elected to bring up a, a sad poo. So not a hashtag bad poo, uh, bad but we uh, sling augmented, augmented double pickup of the nurse and the swimmer to get them up. And it was only, we were only on scene for about 20 minutes. And that's just moving the passenger from their infirmary all the way out on the boat. So, we were able to, with the extra wind, extra gas at the rig, we were able to then skip that, that leg, uh, to go to the, the rig on the way back. But, uh, that was another tough decision for me to make because, uh, the rig at this point was about 
30 nautical miles west. So if we went to the rig, we could pick pick up a little bit of fuel, but we were still going to be so heavy with six people taking off the rig. We wouldn't be able to get straight back to UMC. We would have still had to refuel at Homa. Um, so we're sitting there staring back at shore in the same area that I just got beat on by this last band that came out of nowhere. Um, you know, and now it's, uh, it's like dusk. It's like, yeah, it's pretty much official sunset. So now we got that playing into it as well. And we're at a 300 uh, plus one to a 300 bingo. Um, and again, now the winds were working in the opposite favor. We had a really good tailwind, but like we kind of knew we were going to lose it getting into shore. So, uh, one of the ways we, we mitigated that, we pushed the Casa forward and said, Hey, get ahead of us as much as you can check out the weather and see if we can do it. Um, ultimately then we also just, I just did like a zero wind calculation. Like I said, Hey guys, with this tropical storm, we're not going to all of a sudden get winds from the North because the, the rotation of the storm, uh, but we might, we are going to lose our tailwind. So it's like right now we got plus one to 300, even if we go down to zero wind, um, we were going to get about 190, 200 right at, at 200 if we landed. So I said, Hey, we're going to have a tailwind. The winds aren't going away. Um, we got the cost out ahead of us. They checked, they said, Hey, no convective activity. Pretty good. looks like ceilings are at about a thousand now, just rain. Yep. Um, and, uh, so we kind of determined it's go, no go point of that CPA of that rig. Like I'm not going to fly North and then have to come back to the rig. You know, like once we're perpendicular to that rig, where that's going to be kind of our go, no go to head up to the North. Uh, things were looking good. We pushed, uh, we saved a lot of time with the patient, which was helpful. Um, we got back to Homa. Uh, again, they were in limited hours because of Ida. So we begged them literally as we were leaving, like, guys, we're going to be back at eight. Don't close. Don't close. And they're like, yeah, we'll be here. We'll be here. Uh, and so they stayed open late. We came in, got fuel, uh, then made it all the way back to UMC here in New Orleans, which is the big hospital here in New Orleans, which I also haven't been to because uh, I had not. Uh, no, no qualms with sked. Uh, they, they scheduled me for about five fams. Every time I had a fam scheduled, I got launched on SAR. So, oh, man. uh, dog. this became, this became my, uh, my rig fam, my, uh, my hospital fam, my South fam, uh, cruise ship. Fam. Yeah. So it was a, it was a good flight. Uh, yeah, it's be- um, Isaac, it's best to have all your first in one flight, man. I mean, that just, yeah. you just get them all out of the way. Get him out of the way. So, uh, awesome crew. I just shout out to, uh, we had, uh, Jim Jowers with my back. He was phenomenal on the hoisting. Uh, he had some really good impact. We ended up going lower, yeah. real low on the hoist for the, uh, uh it's kind of his idea. He's like, let's get down lower since he's not ambulatory and in a basket and not a litter. So we, we snuggled up. We were probably, uh, just about over 20 feet, um, and, uh, snuggled up to him and so that he wasn't riding that basket for a long transit, uh, since he was pretty incapacitated. Yep. Um, that works pretty good. We stayed right in the position for that. Um, a swimmer was great. Uh, he was doing medical stuff in the back. Uh, uh that was Corey Bridges. And then, uh, Lieutenant Dan Siders, hot hands Dan Siders. And I'm somewhat of a heater here. Uh, so I knew I was going to get something that night. He was, uh, he well outplayed his experience as a young co-pilot and really helped out with uh, all the RM and uh, mission planning with that uh, that case. So it was a, it was a it was a tough one to execute. Uh, you really uh, uh, stretching the limits of the sixty five. Um, it, it was dynamic. You know, we had all these fuel loads and stuff planned out ahead of time, but then you know things like the on scene conditions with the wind allowed us to take more gas than we thought was safe before. Um, so we we well briefed. Um, but I guess my takeaway was as a guy who was pretty used to just kind of the SAR alarm hitting and you just kind of run out and I kind of like, Oh, we'll figure it out on the way over to Maui. Um, I was glad that we took the time to plan this one. Cause, uh, we would have had the wrong info if we had left right away. Um, uh, we wouldn't have had the best fuel options and everything. We had found one other rig at one point. Uh, uh, so it was nice that we, you know, again, I think we executed the mission about as fast as it could have been done safely with how far the transit was. But, uh, um, Definitely, uh, it was a it was a challenge, a mission, a mission planning challenge for sure. A classic NOLA case, uh, like a uh, uh, pretty funny. Just like you know, I heard about these ones, and then sure enough, here I am uh, and executing one uh, a few weeks after uh, or a month and a half after uh, reporting in here to NOLA. So, uh, you guys said it was like hours and crew for that one. Uh, Five point four <laughs> total flight hours for that one. Oh yeah, another thing. So we were off going. So like by the time we did the mission planning, it was like three fifteen, and you know, ops was kind of like, hey, we can pass this on to the next crew. And my crew was hungry. I, I loved it. Uh, strong bias reaction. They got out there and they said, no way, we're handing this off. And I'm glad we did that too, because by the time I think another air crew would just got comfortable with all those legs and the planning, even if I briefed that all to them, they would have been like, you're trying to do what now? Um, so I think that would have delayed the case longer. Um, but yeah, we got home about 10 PM on our offline day, uh, uh, mission complete. And, uh, we were able to bring the swimmer. Uh, we had discussed leaving him behind. Uh, if we had left him on the cruise ship, obviously we could have taken more fuel out the rig, but, 
uh, you were able to take that extra fuel. Um, Dude, you guys did it. Take weight. I, I yeah, like it. Was, uh, it was, I like the fact that you just said strong bias for action. That really uh, made my ears perk up. Oh, yeah. Nice yeah, word. Yeah, the big CO right there. Uh, uh, the uh, ops told me to put that on my OER, right? Okay, but, good. Uh, <laughs> As he would. Yeah. Man, guys, yeah. I, I mean, just with the Sarkay's dive in with the three of you guys it, it, in two weeks at NOLA, and this is a snapshot. I mean, I'm sure that it's not always this heavy. Is it always like this down there, guys? Uh. I would, yeah, it comes in waves. I would say that that's probably a, a, a bigger wave than normal. Um, but I would say that that's not out of the normal for, uh, for New Orleans. So. Do you think, all right, next question. Cause you guys are shifting to sixties. Do you think the 60 bubbas are ready for that kind of SAR? I mean, cause they don't, re- <laughs> they don't really do too much SAR, right? I mean, besides, <laughs> I Cody, besides yeah. Cody, I can I stick it. They'll definitely utilize, uh, effectively, I would say. Yeah. So I think, it's, I think it's, in the overall Coast Guard grand scheme of things, I think the 60 is probably the right platform for this area. And, uh, you know, our area is, goes from Apalachicola uh, all the way to the Texas-Louisiana border. I mean, it's it's a massive area, hence why we have a B1, uh, B0. So uh, I think the 60 is the right call. Um, just like Isaac said, I mean, that case, you know, Kenny said it too. The mission planning for that case would have been, all right, cool. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think that's, you know, uh, that's just the difference. It, it just, you know, you have, you have these cases where you have to mission plan and have great crew coordination and stuff like that. And it's just, uh, you learn so much on having to actually think about what you're doing, how you're doing it and be effective and efficient and uh, how you do it. Yeah. So you guys are, um, are slated to switch to the sixties here this coming summer. Um, I'm assuming Andrew and Timmy, you guys are headed out and, um, Isaac, you're staying with the transition. Yeah, I'll see you boys in Mobile. Correct. <laughs> nice. Correct. Awesome. All right. Hey, guys. Uh, looks like Ryan's kind of giving me the ass I over there, which means we're probably running a little bit long. That's okay. I still want to stick around and hear more about the SAR cases that are happening at NOLA. So uh, we're going to make this a two-part podcast. So we'll uh, pause here, then we'll come back with uh, part two uh, two weeks from now. So thanks, guys. Appreciate it.